SiriusXM presents Stanford Pathfinders. Stanford has 225,000 alumni living all over the globe in 151 countries. And they're some of the most amazing people you would ever want to meet. A show about how the graduates of Stanford University are changing our lives and the world. We'll hear very interesting things from business leaders in the technology sector, but well beyond that. The worlds of politics, entertainment, business, and beyond. Inspiring stories from America's innovation heartland. It's a place where people look to the future, not to the past, where they don't rest on their laurels. Think about the gold rush. Think about Stanford being formed in the late 1800s. And then Stanford was the beginning of Silicon Valley. And the ethos of Silicon Valley is deeply embedded in the Stanford spirit. It's a spirit of innovation, experimentation. It's a spirit of being willing to try new things and risk failure as long as you fail forward. Welcome to Stanford Pathfinders. Today on Stanford Pathfinders two-time MVP and Heisman Trophy winner, the most celebrated athlete in Stanford history. I owe a lot of it to the guys I played with. Uh, I played in the NFL for 17 years, went to Stanford for four plus, and uh, uh, yet to this day, those are my best friends. The former Oakland Raider quarterback Jim Plunkett talks about his legendary career in the NFL. Al Davis gave me a chance across the bay and put me in a situation surrounded by players who could really play the game. This week on Stanford Pathfinders, Jim Plunkett. Now, here's your host, Howard Wolf. Football has been a part of Stanford since 1892, a year after the university's founding. Over the course of the last more than 125 years, many Stanford football players have become household names. Chuck Taylor, Ernie Nevers, Frankie Albert, Darren Nelson, Gene Washington, John Brody, James Lofton, Tommy Vardell, Christian McCaffrey, John Elway, Andrew Luck. These were all amazing Stanford football stars. But only one Stanford football player has ever won the award given each year to the most outstanding college football player. I speak, of course, of the Heisman Trophy. That Stanford legend, that Stanford icon, is none other than Jim Plunkett. Jim Plunkett, who graduated from Stanford in 1971, was a star for Stanford, leading them to a Rose Bowl victory in that same year. After Stanford, Plunkett became the number one draft pick choice of the New England Patriots and then played with the San Francisco 49ers and most memorably, the Oakland Raiders, where he captured the Super Bowl MVP title and a Super Bowl win in 1980. Perhaps most importantly, in keeping with Stanford's penchant, for disruption, Plunkett fundamentally changed the college game. Quite simply, his amazing arm and passing prowess helped to change the notion of college football as a ground game, making it flashier and even more exciting. And in the years since his retirement from football, Jim has remained a stalwart member of the Stanford alumni family, providing support in myriad ways to his alma mater and the football program. It's not every day that we welcome a Stanford icon to the show. Jim, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Howard. So you had a pretty hard scrabble upbringing down the road here in East San Jose. So how did your financial situation of your family impact your childhood? I mean, I read a lot about it, and I'm just curious, how did that help you become the man you are today? Well, you know, uh, for one thing, you know, I had to be around my parents all the time, uh, both of them being blind, one totally, one legally. But, you know, I think at an early age, I, I, I came 
to realize that, you know, I had to make a better life for myself. You know, my parents were on welfare. We were on welfare. Uh, and it was a struggle for my parents to, uh, to provide for their children. It was tough. And uh, as I said, I just wanted a better life for me and my family to be. And uh, so I worked hard in the classroom and hard on the athletic field. And so your mom um, became blind at the age of about 19, 20. 20. Yeah. And then your dad progressively over time, but he was legally blind for his entire life. For, at birth, yes. Yes. And then he worked in um, in the press area, or, or was it a... a... Uh, no, he, wor- he worked selling cigarettes and candy in uh, uh, the unemployment office uh, most of his life. You know, He did some other work. Actually, he moved. the, the family moved out from... Albuquerque, uh, where uh, they were from. Uh, I was the only child born in California. And he went to work at the shipyards back then because his, his vision got progressively worse and he couldn't do that kind of work anymore. But that's what brought the family to uh, California uh, jobs. And so football was your ticket? Uh, in, a, in a sense, you know, I, I like to think, uh, you know, uh, schooling also helped as well, you know. <laughs> I, I, I worked hard enough to be able to go to any college I wanted to go to or university. Uh, and actually, I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player early on. Oh, is that right? Yes. I got drafted out of high school uh, to play baseball, but by then, football was my my true love. And, uh, you know, I wanted to go to college. Uh, Did you ever wonder what would have happened if you had gone the baseball route? I saw too many people go into baseball and never get out of the minors. No, you know? I never got and, out of the minors. And uh, so I wanted to stick to football. And, and as I said, uh, uh, go to college and get a well-rounded education. So let's talk about college. Sure. So as you just said, you could have gone to any college you wanted to in America. I understand that you were focusing sort of here in California near your family. Right. And there was Stanford right up the road and there was Cal. True, and there's Santa Clara actually. Oh, uh, Santa Clara was also on the list. Yeah. Okay, so I guess it was even closer to home. I uh, didn't have we didn't have a car, so you know I can get to and from school. But uh, uh, but I wanted to play major college football, and actually being uh, raised Catholic, uh, uh, Notre Dame recruited me. I thought about going to, to Notre Dame, but it was just uh, too far. Uh, too far. Uh, I had to be close to my family, so uh, it was between really Cal and Stanford, and. You know, um, what tipped the scales for Stanford for you? Well, a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, John Ralston, uh, Mike White, Dick Vermeil. John Ralston, the coach at the time. Yes, uh, Dick Vermeil, uh, Mike White, Rod Rust, uh, uh, who was uh, uh, really in charge of me and my family. And uh, and the thing that really made it Stanford important to me was uh, right after my senior year, I had to have surgery on my neck. I had a tumor on my thyroid and. Uh, it might have ended my career before it even started. So I called up Rod Rust, and uh, you know, I told him, you know, I still want to come to Stanford, but I don't know if I'll be able to play for you because. And then I explained what happened uh, with the tumor on my thyroid, and he said, um, you know what, Jim? Even if you don't play for us, we want you to come to Stanford anyway. And that really. And they'd, they'd honor your scholarship. They'd honor my scholarship, and oh, wow. that, that made all the difference in the world. I bet it did. But then you get here, mm-hmm. and the, the the very famous John Ralston thinks, you know what, maybe he's not a quarterback for us. Maybe he's, I don't know, maybe he's a defensive end. Is that story true? Oh, it's very true. So Ralston thought that you, with that arm of yours, should be a defensive end. But you know, you have to remember in those days, uh, we only had a freshman team. You know, there wasn't four years of varsity football. Only you had three. to play freshman ball. There, you couldn't play varsity your freshman year. No. And uh, and I had a terrible year. I was coming off, you know, this I didn't get started until about a, you know two weeks after school started because of I just had the surgery. I uh, got on the football field too soon, pulled every muscle in my body trying to perform. But I started all four games for, for Stanford, but played terribly. And when spring brawl came along, um, I continued not to really 
play all that well. And so as John did, he brought in all the players into his room, to, uh, into his office to talk to us about what we had to do over the summer to prepare for the next year. one-on-one. Yes. And that's the way John was. And he told me, you know, that, you know, we're, you know, we want to make a change. Uh, we don't think you're ready to play quarterback for Stanford University, uh, but we know what a you know. We saw you play defensive end. Uh, you went to the North South Shrine game in L.A. as a so defensive he, he end. So he had seen you play defensive end in high school. Yes, I see. Uh, and uh, so they were going to make a change uh, for me and not be a quarterback. And I said, John, you know, a couple of things. Number one, you know, the situation. In, was what was the situation was like when I came to Stanford, having had that surgery? I was not my normal self. I, you know, I could play a lot better than I did. And number two, if you move to defensive end, I'll, I'm going to transfer. I'm not a defensive end. I told John, and so he says, "Okay, Jim, I'll give you another shot. You come back uh, in the fall, and we'll take a look at you, and we'll de- we'll decide then." My sense is you worked your butt off that summer. I did. I worked. I wanted to get back to <laughs> being the quarterback that they uh, recruited. All right, then let's fast forward a couple years. You had. An epic 70-71 season here at Stanford. A wonderful Rose Bowl win over 10-point favorite Ohio State. You won the Heisman Trophy, a first ever for a Stanford player before and since. Uh, The Maxwell Award, UPI Player of the Year. How did all those amazing things coming together that final year impact you? Did it change who you were? I mean, could you believe it? I mean, here was a guy that was almost ready to play defensive end or right. being pushed into defensive end, and you become a quarterback that fundamentally changes the nature of the game. Uh, yeah, well, obviously very proud of the fact that I was able to overcome a lot of things that happened to me along the way. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I was as proud as any person could be on the planet, you know. And, you know, I owe a lot of it to the guys I played with. Uh, I played in the NFL for 17 years, went to Stanford for four-plus, and uh, uh, yet to this day, those are my best friends. The the, the, uh, the buddies of yours from Stanford. Yeah, without question. Uh, but anyway, you know, I, I was very far, proud of the things I, I'd achieved along with my teammates. I uh, got a lot of uh, uh, questions about, we you know, what are you going to do next? And actually, as a junior— uh, you thought about there was a lot of speculation that you were going to leave after your junior year. Yes, because you that's had true. all kinds of opportunities. I did, but you chose to stay, which sounds a little bit like Andrew Luck. True. Very similar situation. Right, and uh, <clears throat> and because we hadn't, we came so close my junior year to going to the Rose Bowl, and that's the goal I had since ever since I got to Stanford, and I, you know, I told uh, the teams that were uh, interested in. in, in me coming out a year early is that you know I'm going to stay for my senior year. I you know I want to go to the Rose Bowl. That's that's why I came. Did they to think you were crazy? Uh, no, well, probably, but <laughs> the money wasn't as big back then as it is today. Now. So you know it would have it would help me would have helped my family out tremendously. Although I lost my dad my junior year, uh, but it would you know help take care of my mother, and help my sisters along the way, um, and all those things. And you know I can go out and actually buy a car, but. Uh, uh, you know, I just felt you know, the need to stay and, and and accomplish what I set out to do when I got there, and that's to get to the Rose Bowl and win it. Okay, as a huge Stanford football fan, thank you for doing that. <laughs> Surely. Um, uh, we very much appreciate it. Okay, so then you leave Stanford and you go to the NFL. <clears throat> and I want to focus on your time with the Oakland Raiders because that was special. And it still is a special place for you, the Oakland Raiders. Um, you won the Super Bowl fifteen over Philadelphia Eagles where you were voted the MVP of the game. And in so doing, you were not only the first minority 
to quarterback a team to a Super Bowl victory, but the first Latino to win a Super Bowl MVP award. So we haven't talked about this yet, but your background is an important part of who you are. And so tell me how that felt being sort of the standard bearer for that, right? You were the first. Was that a big deal for you? I I think it was. Somewhat for me, you know, I was proud of the person I, I am. Uh, uh, and uh, being Hispanic, most of my friends growing up were Hispanic, but, you know, I mixed with a lot of different people growing up. Uh, everybody in my family could speak Spanish except me. Oh, is that uh, right? So, so I felt a little uncomfortable in that regard. <laughs> but I was also proud of being Hispanic, the first one to, to win a Super Bowl, uh, become MVP. I know the, the, all those things are very important to me. And, and, and another thing about it is, like, I would get letters and cards from families who push their kids now to go to school, uh, possibly to participate in sports, but not necessarily. But, you know, I showed, I think, a lot of the Hispanic community that they can do better for themselves as they work hard, both on and off the football field, and they can accomplish a lot. And, you know, I think I got that message across to a lot of uh, communities and families uh, of his, you know, Hispanic uh, background. Because some football players say, hey, don't look at me as a role model, right? Right. Look at other people as a role model. I just play the game of football. But for you, you were a big-time role model for a lot of Hispanic young people, for Latino young people. And it was powerful. I think it was, and yes. And you embraced it. I, I did, you know. That, but that's not why I had my success. And I, I, I pointed that out to people. I had my sex because I worked hard. I was fortunate to, to uh, be around uh, players who helped me play better as well. Uh, <clears throat> it wasn't my focal point, but I was proud of the fact that, you know, I quote unquote lead, helped lead the way for Hispanics for not only getting an education, but becoming successful in football or any other sport they decided to, to, to get into. So let's talk a little bit about your success, because if anyone thinks about Jim Plunkett and the football player, the first word that comes to mind is successful. But at the same time, um, a lot of people say you don't get the respect you deserve. And they cite the fact that you aren't in the Pro Football Hall of Fame or on the list of the best quarter- quarterbacks of all time. You've won two Super Bowls. Right. You were the Heisman Trophy winner. You were the MVP in a Super Bowl. It just seems out of whack. So do you agree that you don't get the respect that you deserve, or do you fundamentally don't care about that kind of stuff? Uh, well, to a certain extent, yeah. Uh, you know, It's not going to change your life? No, not terribly. You know, And, you know, I, in a, and as you mentioned, I, 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 I would like to be in the Hall of Fame, but I'm probably never going to get there. Uh, there are players, you don't lose sleep over it? No, not much. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I thought uh, that you know there was a possibility. Uh, you know, A lot of quarterbacks have had not as good careers, but they're in the Hall of Fame. Uh, some of them didn't win two Super Bowls. Uh, and I struggled early in my career. I, I, there's no question about it until I find a home with the Raiders. Uh, but I was you know, rookie of the year for the Patriots. But then I just got beat to a pulp and I was running the option in the, in, in the NFL. It took its toll on me and I moved on to San Francisco. Uh, that did not work out very well. And then Al Davis gave me a chance across the bay and uh, Put me in a situation surrounded by players who could really play the game and uh, and protect you, know, you, protect me, get the ball back on defense, do a lot of good things. Uh, we had a guy named Cliff Grant who unfortunately just passed away, uh, who could you know outrun anybody, and uh, he, you know he was a very impactful player for us. Todd Christensen came into the league uh, once again, another uh, impactful player at tight end. Uh, Marcus Allen, uh, I, I, I was very fortunate to play with those guys. There's something special about the Raider Nation, and you've remained 
a big part of the Raider Nation for the last 30 years. I mean, sure. this is your identity is not only Jim Plunkett, the great football player, but you are a phenomenal citizen of that Raider Nation. What is it about the Raiders that make them so special? Well, you have to go back to Mr. Davis, Al. Uh, you know, having signed me, uh, given me the opportunity to to finally win some football games towards the end of my, end of my career. Uh, and, he, you know, we had a lot of people who, like myself, but in other ways, struggled with other teams. And he, 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 he found a way to bring them all together. You know, he didn't care who you were or what you did, for the most part, as long as you played football for him on Sunday. And, I, you know, he brought a lot of renegades to that football there team. There were that, a lot of renegades, That wound right? up being very successful under his, his leadership. Interesting. So let's switch gears. There's been a lot of talk about an interview you did a couple years ago when you said that, and I'll quote, your life sucks, and that it's, quote, no fun being in this body right now. Everything hurts. So I want you to tell us a bit more about what this means, how those many, many years playing in the NFL and also at Stanford, what that did to your body, what's the effects today, how do you feel, and how does that inform how you look at things in the future for football? Well, uh, you know, initially, you know, rules were a little bit different back in the day. Uh, for, quarterbacks did get take a beating. As I mentioned, I ran the option. Uh, there was no sliding rule when I first got into the game. Oh, so you couldn't slide as a, as no, a quarterback? Oh, you can slide, and they can still hit you. Oh, I see. But that, that rule came into being a few years later. Uh, and I was a stubborn guy. You know, I would take linebackers on, or, or even defensive backs who were twice as strong. They are built like crazy. You know, they, they can really deliver a blow. And I thought I was tougher than them, but I found out I wasn't. So I took, took yeah, I did, and I took quite a beating. And I said for three years I ran the option at New England under Chuck Fairbanks, and uh, you know quarterbacks shouldn't be running the option in the NFL. Maybe every once in a while, but you know uh, I ran it quite a bit uh, when I was with New England. You took your hits. Yeah, I did, and I've had eighteen surgeries. You know, eighteen surgeries. A lot of these parts aren't mine. I've got artificial knees and artificial shoulder. I've had. Back surgery, uh, shoulder surgery several times, knee surgery several times before they got replaced. Uh, It's taken its toll on me. And uh, you're right, I do not feel very good uh, most days. It's it's a struggle sometimes to get around. This is Stanford Pathfinders. I'm Howard Wolf. More with Jim Plunkett, Stanford football icon, next on SiriusXM Insight 121. This is Stanford Pathfinders. I'm Howard Wolf, and I'm speaking with Stanford football icon Jim Plunkett. All right, you've become involved in something called Crash Course, which is a part of this Teach AIDS group. And so give us a sense for what this is all about and why do these folks attract your support? And maybe touch a little bit on the Stanford connection here, because I know the founder of this group, Pia Sorkar, is a Stanford uh, lecturer and and faculty member. So give us a sense for what that is all about. Well, you know, she came to me. Actually, I think she talked to my daughter who got in touch with me about uh, uh, being a part of this program, this crash course, and uh, to make people aware of just what happens when you do get concussed, uh, the precautions you can take, um, things that really benefit the player today, uh, which wasn't true in years past. And to know more about your body, uh, what's going on. Uh, sometimes, you know, you, you get concussed and you don't really realize it. You go home and then you're not feeling well and, and you don't know what's causing it. Um, and, and they bring this stuff to light uh, and they provide opportunities where you can go out and see someone, talk about it, uh, get help, uh, all things beneficial to today's player. And is the focus mostly young people, like like you know children that are perhaps 
participating in youth sports, or is it at the college level or at the pro level? Well, yeah, I, you know, I think it starts very early in the program. Uh, you know, I, I really don't know if many children can cuss, though, uh, uh, as far as my studies go, but uh, I'm sure it happens on all levels. And, and they just want to bring it to light. These are the things that are possible. These are the things that could happen to you when you're playing, a, you know, a violent game such as football. And uh, they want you to be protected as much as possible. And one of the things I've learned from reading about TJs in the crash course is that it's not just football. I mean, women's soccer right. played at the high school and the college level also mm. has tremendous number of concussions. Right? right, because there's no padding, and these women go up for a header, and they hit each other's heads as opposed to the ball, and they're concussed. So it's not just football. There are a lot of sports where this is happening. Look at you know water polo when a goalie gets hit with a ball in his face. Right. Um, you know, look at lacrosse. I mean, there are all these sports where you wouldn't think about it, but in fact, it's dangerous. It, it is, and uh, even hitting a you know uh, a header with your head, you know, can you know can shake up your brain a little bit. Uh, you know, obviously, the majority of those things happen. You know, on a football field, but they do happen in a lot of other sports. You get hit with a baseball when you're at bat. You know, perfect you can, example. Yeah, it can easily become concussed, and they're trying to make people aware. Uh, you know, on all levels uh, of sports, from the young to the old, and the different sports that uh, kids get involved in, and men get men and women get involved in. And when you see the results of some of these articles about CTE and right. football players who have sort of their personalities entirely changed, and after they die, they do sort of an autopsy and they look at this. Right. That does not surprise you at all when you see. Uh, uh, no, it doesn't. I, I, you know, less so. But some of the older players coming out of the league played before I did, after I did. You know, a couple of them committed suicide. Um, they disappeared uh, uh, from from life in general. Right. One one player did not show up for work for weeks. He got fired. He was living in his garage. Uh, didn't know where he was, who he was. Uh, a lot of those instances have happened over the years that that I've read about, heard about. Uh, and, and it's a shame. But, you know, they're trying to cut down this as much as possible. You know, football and the other sports being as violent as they are, it's going to be hard to prevent all of them. But, you know, they're doing their best. So let's talk about the future of football, right? Because sure. it is a fundamentally, at its core, it's a violent sport. And when you hear the crowds yell, it's for that great stick, that right. great hit, right? That great tackle. And, you know, in addition to the great passes and right. the great runs, um, what do you think about the future of football. And I guess the question is, will we someday view football as many people view boxing today, a sport that is essentially barbaric, right? Boxing mm -hmm. today doesn't nearly have uh, the patronage that it had in the past because right. people just think it's, it's, it's beyond the pale. Do you think football will get to that place? You know, I really don't think so. Okay. Um, uh, mainly because of the equipment uh, players wear today. Um, starting from your ankles all the way up to your head. Uh, uh, it doesn't prevent it all. It certainly cuts a lot of it down. Uh, the things you can do, you can't hit a quarterback above the shoulders or below the knees anymore. Uh, you can Quarterbacks can slide, which they've been able to do for a number of years. Uh, it's just a different ball game. Uh, I, I, it's still violent, I, I, and things are going to happen. But I, I can't see, you know... Any major decrease in in, in spectators uh, watching the game of football, as far as I, I can see. And it's see. interesting because some spectators <clears throat> say we've actually already gone too far in reducing the the, the violent oh, right, nature right. of the sport. Um, but I think most thinking people would say, you know what, that really hasn't changed the game that much. You know, the fact that a quarterback can now slide and feel free is not going to get tackled or or speared. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, that's a positive right. Um, oh, without question, change. Yeah. But some people are saying, "Well, that takes away. F- that's not football anymore." Right. Or they, some people say, "Isn't one of the proposals, Jim, that we should get rid of the kickoff because, you know, when you have two different teams running full right. speed at each other, the impact is is heightened." Oh, right? without question. And, you know, I've heard that same uh, discussion about getting rid of kickoffs. But it, it's, you, then you get rid of punts too, because the same thing happens in punts. Uh, I, I don't think the game will fundamentally change that that much. I think it will continue to go. Uh, the way it's going right now with kickoffs, punts, um, some other rules to protect the quarterbacks in particular. Uh, and the equipment is, I think, getting better You know, each and every year. There's supposedly a helmet that, that can really protect your head from concussions and you know head injuries, but the cost of each helmet is supposedly like $30,000. And the league's not going to do that. So, and uh, then there's also this sort of train of thought that says the better those helmets get – the more reckless right. the players will become because right. they think they're uh, infallible, right? right? They can't be hurt. Right, yeah, that's the other end of the spectrum, yeah. And yeah. some people say, let's go back to the old leather helmets because then players will say, oh, I realize I don't have that protection, and so I'll play the game in a different way. Yeah, I don't think they'll go back, go back that far. But, you know, I mean, you know, spearing's a penalty now. I mean, there's a lot of things you can't do that you could do before. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think continue will... Uh, football will continue to be the sport it is today with uh, millions, millions and millions of people watching it all over the world. So um, uh, a lot of people talk about the camaraderie mm-hmm. of the game of football. <clears throat> and one of my fraternity brothers was Ivan Maisel, who writes about this sure. for ESPN. And and they talk about the fact that your teammates are like your brothers. and that, uh, for, But for the most part, those tend to fade over time. But you mentioned earlier, your <clears throat> band of brothers from your Stanford playing days – have kept together now for more than 50 years, right. right? And you played in the NFL for, what, 17 years? Correct. But still, it's your Stanford players, those teammates of yours that are your best friends. I, I read something that said that you uh, you tell stories and lie to each other about how great you always you, you used, used to be, to be yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, so what is it about that specific group of players that you think was so sticky that kept you guys together for so long? Well, I think we accomplished something that Stanford hadn't done in 19 years. Okay, so uh, winning that Rose Bowl after 19 years of a drought right. was really something that coalesced. And one, one of the many things, but you know, we, we lived together, we played together, we went to class together, uh, we quote-unquote partied together. We did a lot of things. Uh, and in the NFL, it's like a job. You go to work every day, uh, you see each other during that day, and you go home to your Families, yeah. family if you have them, or you just go home. And uh, you don't nearly spend as much time with uh, a professional a teammate as you did with your college teammate. And you guys just stay together like nobody's oh, yeah. business. You know, you know, I, I'm Bob. looking at the smile on your face. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Know, I just think about Bob Moore, Jack Schultz, Jack Lasseter, uh, Ron Cagel. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, a lot of close friends, and, and we've lost some of them. But Jim Kaufman was a dear, dear friend, and, and uh, he, he's passed. But uh, these guys that I played with, and I mentioned them again, Bob Moore, Jack Schultz, Jack Lasseter, uh, Ron Cagel, uh, John Sandy, I, you know, I know him by heart, and it's uh, it's been a great, great friendship over all these many years. Fantastic. And Stanford football, the rise over the last 10 years, pretty been, exciting for you? Oh, exactly. It's been a great, great fun, a great ride. Uh, uh, they've turned things completely around, starting with Jim Harbaugh on, and on with David Shaw. It's It's been great fun, great, met a lot of the kids, they're great kids, they work hard. Uh and you look at them, and you know they're they're Stanford students. Uh, 
and they're like no other, I think. I think you're right. Jim, thanks so much for being on the show. I thoroughly enjoyed having you. Thank you, Eric. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to Stanford Pathfinders on Sirius XM Insight. Listen to this and other episodes anytime on demand with the Sirius XM app.